Welcome everybody to the Find Flow podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott. So today we're going to be talking about vulnerability management. So in the context of service reliability, one of the key core competencies uh, of service reliability is security operations. And uh, of that, when we start talking about what are some primary areas of security operations you should be thinking about from a reliability standpoint, vulnerability management is one of the the most key so today we have dan williams with us dan is a uh, is our practice director for at windward consulting group full disclosure i am the ceo of windward consulting so dan's one of our experts in the practice director and uh, he runs our our uh, security operations practice so uh dan welcome to the podcast hello sean happy to be here very excited about this yeah, I'm not going to go into all your details, uh, but you and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, you right. worked for Windward for a while, a little bit, and then, uh, but we worked together at our last security company, so that was that was exciting. Um, and uh, so we'll put all your details, your LinkedIn, everything in in the in the uh, notes below. So so let's just jump right into it. So when we talk about vulnerability management, I, I think that the best thing to do is to start with the basics. So. What is vulnerability? What is a vulnerability management program, and uh, how do you think about vulnerability management programmatically for success? Right. So I think when it comes to vulnerability management, it's really about understanding what vulnerability management is, right? Because, like, it kind of gets like lumped in there together with vulnerability scanning, vulnerability assessments, and then vulnerability management. Like people kind of use them all interchangeably when really the vulnerability scanning and the vulnerability assessment, you know, that's all, that is all part of vulnerability management because what we want to do, like what the goal is with managing vulnerabilities is you want to find them, you want to fix them and you want to prevent them from resurfacing. So I think that, just sort of like in a nutshell, understanding it, right? Like that's like kind of like like where like th- that's like the first step. Like that's the that's what you want to do is like understand like what it is and what it isn't. So so I liken that answer to like vulnerability management as a program is really looking at the processes, the technology, the people yeah. in order to be effective at vulnerability management. So the programmatics of it is it's not just scanning, it's the processes around detection, isolation, resolution, uh, action, um, analytics, uh, being able to detect things. And then, you know, I think one of the things that we find a lot in the security field and, and how it affects, you know, overall service reliability is ultimately people taking action, right? So there's gotta be an escalation. So there's, so program from a programmatic perspective, I think of it's, you know, the old adage of secure of it, you know, people process technology. That's how you have to think about vulnerability management. And, and what, what you're saying is some people say, well, I do vulnerability management because we have scanning. It's like, yeah, no, uh, you do scanning, (laughs) you do vulnerability scanning. That's just one of the aspects of, a fully formed vulnerability management program. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it, like you say at the programmatic level, you know, when you look at vulnerability management, I mean, we're we're getting into like, you know, architecting the policies and establishing SLAs and then enforcing the agreements. You know, because just you know, when basically we're just doing a bunch of scanning, you know, it's like or you know, 
at whatever like lower level you're at, you know, like under the umbrella of vulnerability management, but not really engaging in a full program. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to like really zoom out at the strategic level. And I mean, you kind of have to go top down because everything has to tie back to something in your information security policy. It's, it's kind of like we say, it's like, if it's not in the information security policy, it's like, you're not doing it. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, one of the things that we come across a lot is, well, why do you guys lump in security operations? Let's, let's go deeper vulnerability management into service reliability. Hmm. And to us, it's because the, the, the idea of a reliable service being affected by an infrastructure issue versus a vulnerability versus some kind of proactive attack yep. is all becoming very, very blurred. So from a reliability standpoint, they're all valid factors in having a high, high reliable service. When you think about vulnerability management and you detect a vulnerability or you detect a vulnerability of a particular infrastructure device, right? You might say, okay, some of our switches, you know, are vulnerable because they don't have the latest security patches or uh, servers or applications or things like that. That ultimately has to get fixed by operations, right? I right. mean, it, security guys aren't going to go in and fix, you know, or update, you know, a firmware or something like that, or go in and make an update to an application's database in order to fix that vulnerability, those are going to be applied either and executed by an operations team, an app dev team, a DevOps team, an SRE team. So it's all very much entwined now with the operations world. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like you say, like service reliability, it's like, I mean, you know, at, like when like you start moving up to like those business layers, I mean, like we need process assurance, you know, we need to know, we need to know that those things are working securely um, because if they're susceptible to, you know, like susceptible to a type of risk where it's like, you know, a, you know, 14 year old with, you know, uh, you know, a $100 refurbished, you know, netbook, you know, just running scripts that he found on GitHub can come in and torpedo your company. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, if, if that's why your business operations are ceasing, I mean, yeah, there is no reliability in your service. Yeah, correct. And so, so let's get, let's dig a little bit deeper, right? Uh, let's talk about visibility. So where does visibility come in as a major factor of your vulnerability management program? So I think that when it comes to visibility, it's it, it's realizing that, you know, the blind spots are your risk, right? So people may say, say that a, a, vulnerability, a vulnerability management program is like maturing, like they're trying to like mature it within their organization and they're really just kind of scanning, right? And they're just like poking around. Well, one of the problems is, is, you know, if you lack visibility, if you're really, say you're only doing like ex, you know, external facing assets or you are doing internal scans, but, you know, you're only scanning the IP address ranges that your team is aware of, uh, you know, you're not really doing anybody any favors by just reporting on the stuff that you know is there. So it's, you know, you have to collaborate. I mean, a, a lot of the stuff, again, back to that word, you know, programmatic, right? Like you have to go from the top down and make sure that this type of, uh, this type of information is kind of offered up front. Like you have to determine with what's within scope of, you know, the engagement, like, like in the statement of work and the rules of engagement in the case of like a, you know, penetration test or something like that, you know, they, they have to identify what needs to be scanned because if you don't have the visibility, I mean, again, the blind spots kind of are the risk at that point. So that's a really interesting point, right? Because, um, 
how do you get past this idea of like, you just don't know what you don't know, right? How do you get past the idea of, of people running servers in a, a cloud environment that has loaded data on it? Maybe, maybe it's an app team that brought up a bunch of a, a server um, cluster and they're doing some testing and they loaded some data in there and then they kind of forgot about it or walked away from it or, or they're using an older version of uh, a particular application or something like that or, or code or library, right? Like let's talk about like, um, you know, the, uh, the log J, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a prime example, right? How do you even know where, all your all your log j instances are throughout the infrastructure because i mean i know when that first happened we basically um we we had clients that just didn't know where to start they're like we don't even know where that library is so how do you get past that from a visibility standpoint well, yeah, that's the thing. So especially with something that's, you know, external facing that like the entire internet can see, you know, it's like I've done engagements before where the client has said like, well, you know, we have our own vulnerability management program internally. And, and, you know, I first start, I have to go back and kind of pretext with, you know, you can't be arrogant and, you know, about it, you know, but it's like, we knew like we, we have the potential to find things that they don't know are there, but they're like, you know, we have our own program. And then, you know, you get in there and of course, yeah, exactly. You find something like, well, you guys actually have the server stood up over here and it's susceptible to, you know, log4j. And then they say, oh, well, yeah, that's just, you know, a dev environment that we just forgot to shut off um, because it, it, it could be a production instance. Right. And like you say, Sean, like how are how are they contending with that? Well, that's actually a, like another type of exercise um, working with um, teams to do uh uh, you know, to, to manage their um, software portfolio uh, programs, right? So like like whatever they have installed on their, uh, you know, set gold images, the things that they're rolling out. Say they're a little bit more sophisticated in their, you know, um, in their, you know, service operations. And, you know, they do have gold images and say they're using, I don't know, just like say they're using, you know, things like, you know, Ansible or like Terraform. Like, you know, like I say, they're getting more sophisticated with, uh, you, know, in, you know, infrastructure as code, so to speak. So, Really looking at your bill of materials in that case, like ahead of time, that's really uh, that's really like where it's the best point of insertion to determine where your vulnerabilities are because you know, you're you're already going to have more or less like you know your build manifest for an image, so you kind of have to go. It's it's kind of pushing the problem as far back to the beginning as you can to identify it, so that way, yeah, you're not kind of stuck saying like where where is that software library? You know, like where could it possibly be in our system? Does it make sense to bring in third parties for a part of your vulnerability management visibility? Because because they can they can sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees, right? And yeah. you have a view of what you have, and and you can't really see beyond that that view, right? And and we get we all get I mean we're humans we get myopic about what's in front of us and we sometimes don't think about the possibilities where somebody stood up you know, a cluster of servers outside of the corporate IP range, right? And they're sitting out there. So is there, uh, does it make sense to bring in a third party to help in that visibility aspects, whether it's a one-time uh, extended scan or, or investigation of resources versus, you know, implementing technology that you can continually run? 
I think it definitely is worth it. And the reason why is, you know, I, I don't think it's because, you know, you're, you're necessarily sending in, you know, the shadow IT police, right. To go, <laughs> to go clean up, you know, the, uh, to go clean up the streets uh, of, you know, your, uh, your internal network, but you do have to have that impartial third party because, you know, sometimes when you just kind of like leave it on your own staff, maybe, maybe it's theirs. Right. And they're going to sort of, you know, uh, conveniently exclude that from any type of reporting, you know, because they, it, you know, in the case of like, you know, cloud resources now, like people are just spinning things up and then just shoving company data out there because it's convenient because it, you know, it gets the job done. So yeah, I definitely think having those third parties able to step in that and they, they, they're, depending on the third party, obviously, I mean, they're going to be very well practiced in finding this type of stuff because this is what they do every single day. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about exception management. So what do you mean by exception management? Right. So when we, so when we've got the vulnerability management program, you know, so like, Hey, like we're going to eventually get down to where, yeah, now we're talking about scanning, you know, cause it's like, we have to find the vulnerabilities, right? Well, so throughout the course of, you know, those exercises, you're, you're going to have items that come up where, uh, they're, they're going to have to be a managed exception. And, you know, what that really means is sure the vulnerability scanner, you know, flagged it, but it's either operationally necessary or it's maybe, uh, you know, misinterpreted by the scanner, you know, as a, uh, as a particular type of service. So it, you know, in sort of that post-mortem review stage after the fact, you know, that's where the, you know, the operations teams, right. They're going to say, well, you know, we don't even have that type of server or, you know, whatever. So you're going to have to go back to the report, you know, find the IP address or, or, you know, whatever, and then validate that. So if, uh, or in the instance of like, you know, um, Red Hat Linux, right. You know, notorious for, uh, you know, coming up in vulnerability scans where it gets flagged because of a, uh, you know, a, a banner that's being reported for, you know, a, a, serv you know, a service that's no longer supported when really that's not the case. It's just, it's security back patched. So everything's fine from a security standpoint. It just doesn't report as such. So not having that conversation over and over and over again, every time you do a vulnerability scan, that's where you have exception management. That way it, it's almost like a, like a pre, uh, a pre-flight, like, you know, check, right? Like we, like we just understand, yeah, we're, we're going to find this. This is, this has been, ex you know, this is the exception or it's been accepted, right? Uh, exception management can also include uh, risks that have been accepted. Uh, again, back to being operationally necessary, maybe the risk is so low and the, you know, just from a likelihood and impact standpoint that the budget just isn't there. The time isn't there to even address it. And it, it's just going to be flagged. So you have to do it ahead of time before these scans. So that way you're not just having the same conversation repeatedly about, you know, about these uh, types of findings. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? Because the reality is, you know, when I've worked with clients, there's lots of risks out there, yeah. right? And assessing the impact of them and the priority of them is really key because some of them are acceptable, right? You might yeah. look at it and if you have, you know, part of it is having the conversation. It's like, okay, like you brought up a good point. How do we, we find a risk but the risk is localized to a particular server running in a very isolated environment with no connectivity to any kind of production systems. Um, and it's running a very specific piece of software that does a very specific thing. Um, how is that a, 
can we, is that an acceptable risk? Right? right. And having that conversation and then being able to track all those accepted risks. But that means that you also need to be documenting your risks, right? And you need yeah. to be formalizing the, you know, what risks that you're looking for. So your scanners might come out and say, Hey, we found all these risks. And then you go through each one of those and say, okay, this type of risk has got to be fixed. And what's yeah. the process for fixing it? Who does we open up a ticket? That ticket gets assigned to the operations team. The operations team then has some SLA that they'll go off and fix it. That is vulnerability management programmatic approach, right? Some may say, well, this risk is acceptable. We've done the analysis. We've routed it through a couple of different people or through a, like a, maybe a risk assessment board. And that board looked at it and then came to the conclusion and said, this is an acceptable risk. It's not worth fixing. May not even be fixable. So right. we're going to mark this as an acceptable risk. So next time the scanners run, when it hits something like that, it'll flag it as an acceptable risk. It'll still show up in, in a scan, but you can kind of go through that very, very quickly. So to me, that's the programmatic approach. Like when we talk about vulnerability management programs, this is literally what we're talking about, right? Of how do you have discussions and how do you document those discussions and how do you reuse data from those discussions and how do you assign these risks to, to be fixed and what's the expectation and have you negotiated agreements with these things? You know, it's like, if you haven't sat down with your operations team and had a, had a conversation with your operations team on, Hey, we need to have these risks completed or, or fixed, these vulnerabilities fixed within 72 hours. You know, don't be upset when they don't get it done in 72 hours, because if you never had that conversation and came to an agreement with them, but that's part of the program, part of the program is sitting down having conversations with stakeholders and saying, look, this is how we're going to run this program. And this is what we need you to agree to. And if they violate those agreements, then you have a, you have a terms going back there. And that means you probably need to have a executive level oversight on this, right? Because there's going to be all kinds of escalations and things like that. And when you get management on board, so the CISO talking to the VP of operations, talking to the VP of app dev, they're basically agreeing to these SLAs and they're forcing it down because if it doesn't come from top down, then most likely you don't have, you know, the ability to get concrete, um, concrete agreements on how to work together. So, um, let's, let's shift a little bit over to, you know, accuracy, you know, prioritizing accuracy. I mean, on that note, right. We're talking about, um, how do you do exceptions? What are the priorities? Like, what's the red, how do you, so how do you think about from a, vulnerability management program, accurate pri prioritization and risk quantification. Right. So to, uh, to quote, you know, Winston Zedmore from Ghostbusters, um, we have the tools, we had the technology, right? So we're, we're a lot better now, um, at being able to quantify risk. So applying, you know, what has always been, you know, subjective expert opinion, um, it's just, it's not getting the job done. Uh, and you know, the reason why is because, you know, you can bring a lot of things into it. Cause this just goes back to like, you know, intelligence analysis, you know, the same way it's done in the military, you know, you have things like confirmation bias, you know, things like that, that can kind of, you know, skew sort of how like you're, um, you're looking at threats, um, and, you know, and how they uh, coincide to risk. 
Um, expert opinion, it just, it cannot compete with statistical and probabilistic analysis. I mean, it just can't. So that's where quantifying risk, you know, doing things like Monte Carlo simulations, you know, applying Bayes theorem, you know, things like that. They help us, uh, they help us prioritize these things, right? So I would say in terms of we've got, you know, the accuracy, we've got the prioritization aspect. The accuracy is very important because sort of, I guess, like a soft handoff, you know, from, you know, exception management, which we just talked about is, you know, false positives, right? You, know, you have to weed out the false positives. This information has to be accurate because if you're just, if you just have a backlog of tickets for your SecOps teams or, and then, you know, subsequently, you know, the, you know, the uh, systems administrators, you know, the actual asset owners uh, or maintainers, if you're just doing a, a backlog of tasks at them that are, that they're not even real, right? Um, you know, because say, you know, you've got some fine tuning to do, you know, back to the vulnerability scanner, you know, if it's, <laughs> if it's returning, you know, false positives because of, you know, just bad, you know, bad banners, you know, that are yeah, they're exposed on these assets, you know, it's like, Hey, we've got, you know, 20 instances of, you know, Apache 2.4 running in our environment when really you don't, you have the most, you have the latest and greatest, uh, it just, it, it's reporting that. So weeding out the false positives. So you have the accuracy that kind of helps you separate a little bit more signal from the noise. Then that's where, you know, you're working with, you know, actual like pragmatic risk. Like you're working with like, you know, the, the real threats. So from that point, yeah, I mean, you have to apply more modern methods to quantify that risk um, and prioritize it because the problem with doing, you know, vulnerability scans and things like that, you know, there are a lot of great, you know, commercial tools out there that can help with this. But at the end of the day, when you're just, you know, more or less dumping it into a PDF and handing it to an operations team and saying, here you go, they don't really know where to start. And what I've noticed, you know, throughout my career is everybody immediately rushes to that thought and they're like, oh no, it's already prioritized. We have critical, we have high, medium, but what if you have 17 criticals? And then even still, they're like, oh, well, some are rated at a 10, some are a 9.9. And it's like, okay, well, what if, you know, what if, eight of them are a, a, a 10 critical. It's like, then where do you start? Yeah, th that's where they no longer have an answer. <laughs> so it's, you have to quantify the risk based on, uh, based on the, uh, you know, the vulnerability and the threats that are associated with that vulnerability. So that's where you're going to have to lean really heavily on, you know, threat intelligence. You know, yeah, is this so, an active campaign, you know? So, so yeah, there's a lot of vulnerability scanning tools. There's a lot of open source vulnerability. Yeah. You know, some of the key ones are open source. Um, but I mean, let's take log4j, for example, right? You know, that was a really hard one to quantify, quantify yeah. risk because one, you have, to, you have to basically say, okay, what is the likelihood of us being compromised by that? Right. right? If you're a bank, probably much higher than if you're a manufacturing company out in the Midwest, right? Yes. Just higher right. visibility of and, and a higher higher uh target you know you know value vector right for the for the person trying to exploit that you know you I mean you if you can exploit a bank you can you can do a lot of damage right and, and yeah. versus a, a midwest manufacturer right that may have you know not a lot of things that you can do um so you got to look at that you got to look at okay how widely is this in our environment now is a big problem like and then you have to figure out, okay, what happens? What's the potential risk if it actually happens, right? So yeah. 
what is the, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, in our previous, you and I, when we worked together over at Red Monocle and we were doing risk quantification, we were working with other risk quantification companies and partnering with them. And one is a big major uh, bank uh, credit card company. And they had this quantification platform doing value quantification. We were, we were really focused on technology um, quantification. How do you understand risk and, and make sure that you've got the right stack to meet that? And they were looking at value. And I remember seeing like reports and they said, oh, for this company, you know, we, we calculated the risk to be $250 million. Right. And I just remember scratching my head going, how'd you come up with that? Like, like yeah. how do you come up with like, I mean, that's a big number, you know, I mean, <laughs> at least I think it's a big number. And I'm like, how did you come up with that? Because if you're a board, I mean, at some point you sit there and go, this number is so big, either I don't believe it or I'm paralyzed by it, you know, yeah, right. because, you know, the CISO could come back and say, look, you know, we have a $250 million exposure and... I don't think they really talked about likelihood, right? So you kind of have to look right. at that and say, what's the likelihood of this thing? And I'm asking for $75 million in investment. You know, the board's like, we don't have $75 million laying around, you know? Yeah, we, right. you know? So, so how do you, like, how do people do this? You know, how do people understand, like, the likelihood that it could happen to you? You know, are you a target? Are you a high-risk target? The breadth, the breadth of your potential vulnerability is it one server or is it log4j that could be embedded into hundreds of apps that you don't even know and then what's the potential impact that if one of those is vulnerable and it may be very different because log4j may be on so many different systems some of the systems may have very little impact and some may have dramatic impact so how do you wade through all this to get to this kind of quantification so usually, usually where I will tell people to start is, you know, in the case of like, you know, Monte Carlo simulations, right? You know, the big thing is like, well, you know, you can't predict everything that will ever happen in cybersecurity before it happens. Because like, for example, like, log, like how you say, you know, Log4J happened and people were just more or less like, what, what is going on? Like, I don't even understand this, but it's terrible, right? So I tell well, people, it's, you it's know, like the Microsoft Exchange thing. Like you couldn't have yeah. predicted or SolarWinds, right? SolarWinds, right. I don't think right. anybody would have predicted projected that somebody would embed in the source code right yeah. a vulnerability you know yeah so that, some things you just can't predict yeah exactly so with with those really specific things uh because you know that's something that's come up a lot you know it's like you know when i talk to you know you know clients and colleagues alike right so basically what i do is i tell people to approach is you know you have to you have to sort of abstract the subjects and the use cases of these types of things. So we can't predict that specifically solar winds is going to have this very specific vulnerability with a very specific product. But what we can do is in an abstract, you know, just think of like, you know, like a block diagram, right? Where you're just getting very abstract with things. What we can do is we can say, what if software in our supply chain that's externally developed that is that pertains to our security stack 
you know, with uh, network security monitoring tools. And then you just sort of like break it down from there. You know, you just use, like I say, everything is like very abstract because you're, you're not assigning any specific uh, subject to it. Like there's no product, there's no specific um, threat. So once you get all the way down to that, when you have to make these types of calculations, you at least have, you know, it's the same way that, you know, you would calculate something within a certain industry, right? So it's like, we know that, you know, like in the medical field, for example, you know, we're worried about, you know, PHI, things like that. You know, we can break things down to like a cost per record. We can, you know, we can look at, you know, say it's a third party administrator for insurance or, you know, very large like hospital in a metropolitan area, you know, privately owned, you know, has hospitals all over the county. You know, you can uh, you can actually break these types of things down. So really, once you start quantifying things and putting dollar amounts on, uh, you know, on on things that are, you know, like tangible like that, it's like, you know, well, like, yeah, a medical record like we can go across our portfolio. We've got, you know, 25 million medical records. Um, we're looking this at this, you know, Verizon, you know, uh, security, you know, annual security report that's telling us that, you know, the average uh, breach at a hospital for ransomware of medical records costs X number of dollars. So from there, you know, you can kind of break the math down and you can start figuring out like, well, what are your medical records worth, you know, on the black market, so to speak? And then what are they worth internally? You know, it's like, what value does your organization apply? You know, like, like what, what is the business saying? Like, what value have they put on it? Because once the business can assign, you know, monetary value to specific items and sort of hand that over to the cybersecurity teams. Yeah, that's kind of like where, like, you know, the gears start turning. You know, things like Monte Carlo simulations are actually possible at that point. Gotcha. Cool. All right. So let's go to, let's, let's touch on one more topic. I mean, we could probably talk about this for like hours. All right. Um, but let's talk a little bit about understanding your assets. I mean, we've kind of touched on it throughout this entire, you know, conversation. And, you know, one of the biggest things is just how do you understand what you got, right? And how can you understand the broadness of a vulnerability, right? So you may have, um, you know, a thousand devices that all look the same, like yeah. like an IoT device, right? And right. IoT sensor or something like that that's connected to your network. And uh, that might have a vulnerability on it. So how do you, what are your thoughts on, how to understand, you know, your, your, how an organization can understand their assets and apply that to a vulnerability management program. Sure. So I, I think it's funny because it's like the, the more intuitive and streamlined and easy to use that a particular service is for the end user. It's like the more complex and deep the technology, the supporting technology stack is, right? Absolutely. Cause that's how we, that's how we make it easy for them. Yeah. <laughs> just I tell people that all the time. I'm like people who aren't in the technology business. I'm like, if, if I tried to explain to you how you open up your phone, touch one button and text somebody something and it shows up like, you know, a hundred milliseconds later, your brain would explode. It's yeah, that right. complicated. Right. Like it, it, and I don't even think I could explain how complicated it is. And, and we're in the business, you know, I mean, right. the, the more there, you, you bring up an excellent point, the more we make technology simpler, which is what we need to do, right. The more complex it has to be on the back end to make that happen. Yeah, exactly. 
So with that complexity, you know, it's it's really created a lot of challenges for, you know, cybersecurity uh, practitioners over the years, right? So, you know, what I say about, um, about you know, like reacting to that, right? So like understanding your assets. So we've got conventional approaches that we take. So we may fire up something like, you know, a, you know, a vulnerability scanner and we say, okay, well, hey, you know, we've got these web servers that we're concerned with. Like, you know, we want to do a vulnerability assessment. You know, um, uh, we haven't done one yet this quarter. We need to do it. And then, you know, the team just comes back again with, you know, the, <laughs> with the, 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 the good old handy, uh, you know, PDF of the findings from the vulnerability scan but they only scanned it at the infrastructure level, right? So, I mean, yeah, they scanned the web server and they're just like, oh yeah, the only thing that we found was, you know, port 443 was open and, you know, that's how the website actually works. And then, um, you know, port 22 was found, but it's filtered. Um, okay, but it's a web server. Like you just said it was a web server, meaning, you know, uh, it's probably got, you know, like a, I mean, at, at a minimum, I mean, if like this is like 1997, I mean, it's got a static website on it. But I mean, nowadays, I mean, yeah, you probably got and people don't really like the definition of web app is like kind of all over the place right now but you've got a web application running on that web server um the web application wasn't tested during that scan it was just you know the, the server itself was scanned so you find somebody that you know understands web application you know scanning uh, vulnerability scanning and they go in and they do their assessment and all of a sudden they're pulling they're pulling out this you know 50 page report and they're like yeah you have all these sql injections and you know you guys need to like sanitize your input you know for these form fields and we were able to um you know for this email that you have to sign up for your newsletter like we were able to actually use your entire uh your entire employee bases, you know, email distribution list and blow everybody up with 10 million emails and completely flip over their, their email inboxes because you guys don't have any kind of rate limit set on it. Just things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, you, you have to understand your assets. Like you have to understand what it is, like what it is that you're scanning and, and what it is that you'd like to know. So that's where, yeah, the expertise comes in because we can't just take these conventional approaches of, I'm just going to, you know, fire up, you know, Nessus and point it at this thing and push a button. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit more discerning than that. And I think understanding that, you know, is, is kind of like how we start to move forward. Yeah. That's, you know, I, I keep getting back to the point is like, if you ask the question, it's like, well, how does security operations really matter to service reliability? It matters because under service reliability, one of the things we're doing is tracking configurations and configuration management through your CMDB. Right. Well, the CMDB, if built correctly and maintained correctly, actually will help you understand that that web service is not just an IP address sitting out on the internet yeah. uh, from an infrastructure, it's got a very complex set of services and databases and interconnections on the back end that all have to be understood. So right. that's why this is why this area of operations, you know, SecOps is becoming is so blurred with just overall service reliability because everything is interconnected, right? And if you're going to have a good vulnerability management program, you've got to understand your assets. And in order to understand your assets, you're going to have to work with the organization running the CMDB and the engineering programs and the operations teams that are maintaining the accuracy of that CMDB, much as they do for their own incident problem and change management processes on the operation side. You're using that same data. 
same with like Splunk, right? Splunk's out there collecting all kinds of data and data streams around infrastructure, you know, operations management, right? And, but how does that, that same data is being used on the security team? So everybody now is starting to use the same systems, understand the same data, understand services the same way. So we all become very interconnected and we have to look at that interconnectedness as really the, the underlying foundation of how we provide reliable services to you know, the end user or the customer or the mobile app or the web app or you know, whatever we're providing. So, well, this is, Dan, this has been fascinating. Um, I always love talking to you and I'm glad I get to talk to you on the show this time and not just in the office. Um, <laughs> but uh, we will have you back uh, soon um, to talk about other things around SecOps and service reliability. So thank you very much for being on the show and um, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. And yeah, we'll thank everybody lot, for, Sean. oh, you're welcome. And thank everybody for tuning in. Um, you know, every Friday or every uh, Friday, we release new episodes of the Fine Flow podcast. So stay tuned and just keep an eye out and uh, subscribe on all the major platforms and YouTube. Take care. Bye.